Welcome to the Risk and Repeat podcast, episode number 188. I'm Rob Wright, Security News Director at Tech Target, and I am here with Security News Writer Alex Kalafi. Alex, welcome. Thanks, Rob. Alex, we mm-hmm. are back from Las Vegas. Yes. We are back from Black Hat 2022, yes. Black Hat USA, which I keep leaving out the USA part. There are other Black Hat shows, not just mm-hmm. the big one in the US. Uh, and we are here to discuss, we've had about a week to digest what we saw, experienced, consumed, uh, listened to. I was going to say, it's, it's, it's actually taken a week to digest the food that I had in Vegas. I know, I know, man. <laughs> in and out burger. Might have yeah, overdone it. Anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so it, let's talk Black Hat, uh, it, because there were some... There were some trends. There was some. There were some really good sessions. I have to say, we didn't go last year when it was a hybrid event. We obviously tuned into it. We tuned into the virtual event um, the previous year, uh, two years ago. Uh, it was good to be back there, and I, I, for me, because um, I had been there before, and I thought there was some really strong content, really strong sessions, good speakers, good uh, information there. And, um, yeah, let's, let's discuss, um, it was your first time in Vegas. What, (laughs) anything you want to share about that before we delve into the technical stuff? Anything I want to share? I don't know. (laughs) No, what, what, what happens stays, et cetera, et cetera. No, no, no. It was, I'll, I'll give my opinion on Vegas and black hat Vegas. I, I'm not going to lie. I hated my first night or two in Vegas. It was very overwhelming. It was so corny, so hokey. Um, But uh, a day or two later, when I got my bearings, when I realized that Vegas is a is a place of excess and gluttony and uh, pretty much all the seven sins at a certain point and that you can't go outside. Once I accepted Las Vegas or at least the stretch of Las Vegas I was in for what it was. Yep. At a better time. Yeah. It's like, okay, I know what this is. My, I'm calibrated. It was okay, but it took days. Oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say it's a lot. It is. Um, and, and my, I was telling, uh, my fiance that like one, we're never going here on vacation. Like this is just, (laughs) this is not a place I think I I want as a vacation, Not, not enough outdoors, but two, I think the perfect amount of time to spend in Vegas is two nights leave on the third afternoon and you can, you can have the Las Vegas excess experience, but leave before you hate yourself. <laughs> That's about right. Um, yeah. But yeah. I'll, I'll, let me tell you about Black Hat, though. <laughs> sure. Go. <laughs> um, so my my frame of reference for cybersecurity shows, I went to I went to reinforce uh, AWS a couple weeks ago. But I'd say for major uh generalized security conferences rsa Mm -hmm. and black hat are the two i've been to now which are the two main ones for us um i think i like black hat more than rsa and i'll and i think the reason for that is that rsa feels like it kind of feels like i can get my job done despite rsa being like Mm. a heavily sponsor focused sort of it's 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 not it's for organizations not for me and and right. so is black hat but it you really feel it at rsa when you go down to the show floor and it's just so intense 
And then you go to the sessions and they're like, they're there. You get some good ones, but you get a lot of them that aren't necessarily applicable to what we do either. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Black hat was similar in that it had a show floor. It was sponsor driven. Um, but it felt a lot more natural to me yep. by which I mean, or authentic, right? Where yes. a lot of the sessions were one, I could follow them pretty easily. Like there were overly technical or not overly, but there were like advanced technical ones. Yes. Very technical. But, yeah. But a lot of them were, let's say easy for someone who isn't working on the ground floor, but is interested in learning how this stuff works. Um, and there was some news relevant stuff and the guests like the speakers were across the board pretty good. So yeah. I would say that I, it felt like a more authentic version of RSA, like a, like a, a better version in some ways to me. I yeah. don't know. Is that your impression too? Yeah, no, I think you're, you're hitting on a lot of points that people have expressed in recent years, maybe even over the last 10 years as things have sort of progressed that um rsa is it, it's more um maybe product focused uh vendor focused and black hat's a little bit more a lot more even uh, i mean they have a show floor but it's a lot more about the research and the tech and um you know there are people out there that feel like black hat is becoming too much like rsa and it's basically rsa in in vegas uh, I don't think it's there yet. I think there was a lot of good content this year. Um, and, you know, it, you, you're you not seeing a lot of people go on stage with explosive um, findings about, you know, zero day vulnerabilities. That doesn't really happen anymore. That doesn't even really happen that much at DEF CON, um, the, the sort of unofficial sister show of, uh, of, of, uh, Las Vegas, because it happens mm-hmm. approximately the same time. But no, I think you hit on a lot of of, of points. I really felt like, um, especially after a, a bit of a layoff, that being back there and seeing what um, what people were talking about, what people were uh, focusing on, you know, the different sessions and the different research and um, the technical stuff. Uh, I I thought it was it was pretty invigorating. I thought that, I thought it was a, a good show all around so yeah i i felt like on rsa i could get a little bit of a finger on the pulse from the interviews i had with with various sort of cybersecurity professionals sure. researchers yeah. executives but i felt like just from being at black hat i got a much better finger on the pulse of like what people are thinking about and talking about at the moment e- even like like i did talk to a bunch of people but even if i hadn't i feel i feel like i would have had a better i i have a better idea at this show what people are talking about right now than just from going to RSA and seeing some sessions. Yeah. And, and what they're doing, what the infosec researchers are doing, the threat analysts, researchers, bug hunters, the companies they work for too. I mean, it it's, it's laid out and it's illustrated in a lot more um, detail and and, and informative way to Mm -hmm. the audience, I think. So, um, that said, we should talk about some of the highlights that we saw. I guess we should start with you since you were in the keynote. You covered Chris Krebs, former CISA director, his keynote. Um, what'd you think? Um, 
of the keynote, I thought it was interesting. Um, interesting in that I I always like watching Chris Krebs talk because mm. it's he's a great speaker and mm. I think he communicates a lot of important ideas, genuinely important ideas, in sort of a folksy, sort of charismatic, easy to digest way. Yeah. Um, and this one was pretty good. There was there was a little bit of sort of plugging of what he's working on um his stuff at the aspen institute Mm -hmm. but he also talked a lot about the government's role uh the government cyber readiness and sort of his thoughts about how the government's doing yes um and his overall take was how like things are getting better things have gotten a lot better like easterly's great sis is great uh we're doing great except it's not far enough is kind yeah. of the the general vibe. Like one, yeah. you need to invest more money in um, like private sector products. Cause he says like the department of defense is the largest customer of basically every uh, of every single major vendor in the world. And that mm-hmm. they have like a hundred billion dollars of spending money and they're not using all of their buying power. He felt. Um, and two, he felt that CISA should be, uh expanded and then he he was sort of pushing to make it easier for for private sector folks to communicate with the government and and i thought that was pretty interesting um a lot of that stuff was pretty interesting i don't think you didn't end up catching it just because you there was a lot going on right i i watched it later on okay it it took me a couple days because more more than a couple days because you know this is a busy show we're all over the place yeah um, no, I, I, I'll tell you what I thought was, you know, there was a lot of statements, a lot of quotes that were pulled out of, you know, his talk. But I, I think the thing that stood out to me was, as you said, he, he was, it was mild criticism, but it was still criticism. He was basically saying, it's not, it's not enough. You yeah. know, we've, we've made a lot of progress and, um, I, I find that often a lot of times, Former government folks, whether they work at DHS, military, intelligence, whatever, when they, you know, I'm talking in a technology setting, but I guess you could even broaden this to really anything. Um, When they come out and they sort of offer criticism, it's not usually from a place of like, I think we need to be better. Mm -hmm. It's it's usually self-serving criticism. It's usually stuff that's like, you, you kind of feel like there's a grudge. And I got to tell you, if, any, if anyone out there should hold a grudge against uh, the government, I mean, not against CISA because CISA didn't fire him. Trump fired him. But yeah, and he, he has his Republican grudge, to be sure, if you follow sure. him on Twitter. Oh, yeah. He yeah. earned. But, but he's a, yeah, he's, yeah. A, he's a must follow. Um, but yeah, but in terms of like the belief that government has a role to play, an important role an imperative role and what it needs to accomplish and what needs to be done for it to accomplish that goal. Like he still sticks with it and he still believes in it and he still is trying to get there, albeit from the outside looking in and he's still on good terms with the people that are in government. And that's, that's important to me. That speaks volumes. So it was good. Um, there, there's one more I actually want to plug another yes. session I saw and it's funny because one, it, it's funny for two reasons one 
it's a sponsored session. So, so usually these are the ones that are like a little fluffy. Um, two, uh, so this session was a social engineering session, um, hosted by Nicholas Biasini, who's the head of outreach at Cisco Talos. Um, the session happened the same day I talked to Nick, um, and the day after Cisco disclosed a, uh, security breach, um, it seems like not a lot was taken as far as what we know at the moment. seems like it was, they sort of responded to it well, but, um, it, it did seem to have resulted from a, a social engineering attack. And this yes. panel was about social engineering attacks. So I went yep. to see if it a little awkward. Yes. Yep. <laughs> uh, so I went to see like, Hey, would they address this at all? Because I was working on a story and, and not that like, I don't think Cisco could put together a good panel, but in the context of being a sponsored session, I was like, we'll see. It was actually really, really good. Um, It was sort of taught. It was sort of breaking down social engineering attacks, how they work partially a primer, but there was some stuff I I didn't know before. Um, One example was that he was explaining how LinkedIn is sort of like the primary nexus for social engineering attacks because all this data is public um, they might even be able to contact you or get your contact information publicly. And um, let's say you're a security engineer and next to your time at vendor X, it just says what software your company's using and yeah. what version your company's <laughs> using. And then a threat actor who sees that can then pose as those organizations or someone right like those organizations and, and he, he was breaking them down. And then he also gave a very funny, but excellent piece of advice, which is just lie on your security questions. Yes. <laughs> like just, yeah. if they're asking what your street was, just say the number 17, like, mm-hmm. or whatever, just <laughs> for sure. Yeah. So, so that one was really good too. Um, you saw a couple that were, were really good, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the, I caught two sessions, uh, one that were sort of, um, I, I guess the the uh, common link between the two was uh, cyber attacks against Ukraine amid Russia's invasion. Um, the first being the Industrial 2 malware attack uh, the, on uh, ICS systems that was, I guess, a, a, attempted to take down the energy grid or part of the energy grid um, in the country. And uh, some folks from ESET, actually the same guys, one of the same gentlemen um, at ESET who uh, was, uh, who gave the Black Hat talk about Indestroyer 1 five years ago, uh, which is is interesting. And uh, I believe it was Robert Lepovsky. Yes. Uh, and they discussed... He and another uh, gentleman, another researcher at uh, ESET discussed basically why the attack did not succeed in taking the grid down and all the reasons that, you know, the energy provider that was hit, um, Ukrainian authorities, uh, why they were sort of more prepared and and how this was, how this was averted. Um, and, you know, Microsoft played a role, ESET played a role in analyzing the malware when it was first detected. They were able to get ahead of it. It's really interesting. Um, it and sound interesting. Yeah. One of the things that really stood out was that a, th- there was a guest speaker, uh, unannounced, 
a gentleman named Victor Zora, the deputy chairman of Ukraine's, let me see if I get this right. It's a long acronym, Ukraine's State Service of Special Communications and Information Protection, SSSCIP, um, which, I, which I guess I've seen some people sort of loosely compare it to CISA, but it's not. Re- anyway, um, Zora has been uh, in the media a lot. He's been, I, I guess, at other security shows. Um, he's spoken with uh, folks in, in Congress about the invasion and about you know, sort of cooperation between private and public center, sector entities here with, you know, working together with um, uh, Ukraine authorities to try to stave off these cyber attacks. Um, he, he gave a lot of really it, just fascinating insight into how they reacted to that attack. And then afterwards was extremely generous with his time with other, the uh, other reporters that had, had kind of gone into the debrief room um, because, you know, you got to get off stage to let the next group in. And uh, I just, you know, credit to this guy. I can't imagine being in Zora's shoes and knowing what's going on in his home country uh, and and just taking the time to talk to reporters and not just sort of, you know, loosely chit chat, but really like answer some detailed questions, some tough questions about what's going on over there. Um, just really grateful for the time that he spent with me personally and a few other reporters and uh, answering questions and walking us through what they're doing over there and how they defended against this specific attack. It's just it, fascinating stuff and real, just really grateful credit to, to Victor Zora. Um, really impressed and glad I got a chance to meet him. So very nice. Yeah. And then there was another Ukraine session uh sentinel one this one um our colleague Ariel waldman uh wrote up the story uh on this she covered the session as well uh sentinel one talked about just sort of trends that they had seen from all these cyber attacks and i gotta tell you one of the things that really surprised me and i guess surprised them because i spoke with the researchers i did an interview with them was that all of the cyber attacks virtually all the vast, vast majority of cyber attacks that Sentinel One has tracked against Ukraine have been tied back to specific Russian intelligence and military threat groups. So not just like state-sponsored, like a you know contracted cyber criminals that are working on behalf of the government. No, these are these are government hacking units, GRU, FSB, etc. And they were surprised by that. I was surprised by it too. Um, I just would have thought that you would have, when you have willing participants like Conti, that you'd have more of the private cyber criminals out there either lending a hand or being conscripted to do the dirty work. And they they said that was not the case, that it was almost Mm. entirely military or intelligence agency driven. different reasons, different, I guess, speculation about why this is. Um, But uh, yeah, and I I know we have a a report coming out under, it's under embargo, and I don't think, I'm I'm not sure when this podcast is going to go live, so I'll just say it's under embargo. It touches on some of the same things that um, Sentinel One discussed, and I've heard this from other vendors as well, other researchers, just about how um, 
yeah, this is these are groups like APT28 or Cozy Bear and Fancy Bear and Sandworm, like these GRU and FSB specific hacking units, like like military and intelligence agency personnel. So not like, you know, just guys being paid, you know, uh, as a contract hacker to go and get Ukraine. Um, they're using actual personnel and just interesting stuff. And then all the implications of that, you know, uh, of that quagmire and um, what it means for, you know, cyber war and, you know, Geneva Convention rules and geopolitical implications. It's just fascinating stuff. And then obviously all the technical stuff that they have divulged to. Um, it's really interesting. So. Let me ask you this yes. because you you've been you've been covering this stuff for a lot longer than me. You've been to a bunch of black hats and, and defcons at this point. Um, just sort of wrapping things up a little bit. What would yeah. you say is the sort of not the themes, but also like where what's your vibe for where things are at based on this black hat in the world of cybersecurity? Um, I think two things. I think. Well, number one, I, th I think that just going back to the Ukraine stuff, a lot of people feel like Ukraine, the invasion and the, and the cyber attacks has, has, it's changed things. We might not know exactly how it's changed things, but it's whether it's, it's just the sort of blatant and obvious and really destructive attacks being driven by like actual military and intelligence agency personnel or whether it's more technical in nature, you know, maybe we'll see some zero days, maybe we'll see new techniques, new methods, more ICS malware. Mm -hmm. um, but it's it's shifting things, it's changing things. And it's also changing things, I just want to note for the better, um, one thing they repeatedly came up was, was just people praising how well Ukraine, uh, you know, the public sector was working with the private sector and the way that they mm -hmm. coordinated and shared information and worked with not just companies in Europe, but Microsoft and others. Um, so whether it's agencies like the SSS CIP, did I get that right? Yes. Score. Uh, whether it's agencies like that or, um, you know, military or whatever in Ukraine, just the way that they work and the way that they share information, the way they, the way they take action was really instructive and I think a lot of people here wish that they could replicate that and cut through the red tape and and share more and 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 really, you know, seize upon actionable intelligence and get moving and like address things. Um, so that was that was definitely big. And then just a lot of talk. And I know that you're going to touch. I'm probably going to touch on this, but a lot of talk about just vulnerability, the state of vulnerability reporting, um, zero days, bug bounties, just a lot of interesting stuff on that. And I don't want to step on what you, cause I've heard similar things, but I, I, yeah. Yeah. I would say that's, that's the thing I heard is obviously Ukraine's uh, Ukraine. Um, yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, so vulnerabilities there, there's a lot of hot topic discussion about yes. them. Yes. <laughs> 
whether it's uh cloud vulnerabilities like yep. pure cloud vulnerabilities not getting cves which we've covered before and, and other people have covered and and other people are trying to sort of figure that out but we're not there yet yada 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 mm-hmm. um there is the zdi panel which which i ended up getting a little bit of a sneak preview on where they announced that they were introducing new vulnerability disclosure timelines for uh cases where they think um a patch that a vendor releases to fix a vulnerability has been bypassed yep because it's i i talked to dustin childs and and brian garank um who are two of the people who run zdi brian mm-hmm. brian absolutely does um and they were saying that there were situations where a patch would come out for for a, a vulnerability and then like an hour later that or within hours they would get a new bug submission yep that just bypasses that patch it's not what, and, not what you want <laughs> so so they're lowering their sort of vulnerability timeline so it's like instead of the standard 120 days they were giving to basically anyone as long as they sort of would communicate with them um it would be 90 days for like low priority mm-hmm. 60 days or 30 days based on the severity of of the situation of, of a patch being bypassed because there's 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 they were saying that they're just seeing more and more bad patches every year and then in addition to that um uh we've i've i've written a lot about bug bounty programs in the last year particularly apples and, and just bug bounty programs in general and the discussion that was going on back then about bug bounty programs mm-hmm. uh pat uh researchers not being credited uh silent patching uh low ball payments or, or at least accusations of the of accusations of these things um was happening at a lot of vendors and that does not seem like it has stopped it does mm-hmm. not seem like it has slowed down and while I will not name names because I'm currently sort of digging into some of this stuff, I, I have heard that bug bounty platforms are kind of a, a hot topic of uh, getting the guff right now, getting yeah. the gruff. So we'll we'll see what happens there. But it seems like there's been a lot of people critical of um, bug bounty programs still, just like last year. Yeah, and vul- the state of vulnerability discussion is heated. It's definitely heated, and that and the bad patching thing that ZDI pointed out—that's just like I said, it's not what you want, and it it ties in with something. You know, just as a reminder, I think it was in July when Google, um, the tag group, I believe it was had posted uh, something in sort of their mid-year, you know, vulnerability report. And they had written that um, they saw a surge in zero days uh, over the last six months. And one of the things that stood out was that I think the majority of the zero days that they tracked were, um, you know, bypasses, sort of spin-off vulnerabilities from previous vulnerabilities that had been patched, but the patch was incomplete. And one of the things they talked about in this post, I think it was Maddie Stone from Google that wrote this, was that there's too many patches being just sort of pushed out that are not really identifying or addressing the root cause of the vulnerability. And um, yeah, that seems like a problem. And it's probably not going to get better in terms of the bad patches or incomplete patches that we're seeing if that root cause issue 
isn't isn't fixed if we keep mm -hmm. sort of overlooking those things so yeah not great yep not great but hey you know on a positive note alex this is a yeah. pretty good show yeah i liked it and uh you survived your first trip to vegas uh i'm very yeah. happy for you uh it's it's the first of probably i don't know about many but more so <laughs> um yeah, are you I'm cringing hoping... i can't see you right now but <laughs> no 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 if it's many that sounds good too like oh, I, I like the show like yeah. um yeah. for sure vegas i'm acclimated to now so it'll be a yeah. little less painful sure i'm just gonna remember to eat a vegetable here and there yeah um, eat some vegetables maybe bring a jacket it tends to get a little cooler in uh mandalay bay uh as as yep. the as the day goes on as the week goes on Fingers crossed. Hope, hope it wasn't a super spreader event. I yeah, feel fine. Yeah. You feel fine. Yeah. Um, fingers crossed. And hopefully next year's next year's even better on that front. <laughs> exactly. Fingers crossed. Yep. Okay. Uh, well, Alex, thank you for thank you for joining me at Black Hat and for discussing it with me on this uh, podcast. You're very welcome, Rob. And thank you to the readers and listeners of Search Security. I'm Rob Wright, and we will see you next time.